Welcome to today's episode of Elevate Life, the podcast where we discuss how to unlock the design potential in every human being and elevate life. And season one is all about the metaverse in motion. I am your co-host, Nina Jane Patel, and I invited transmedia artist, Joanna Mishi to discuss her work with us today. Joanna truly is a revolutionary storyteller, and she has pioneered empowering children to see themselves as leaders to redesign their society through her project, Government of Children, which we talk about in today's discussion. Her cinematic paths combine long-term concepts, groundbreaking technologies, and forms of expanded artistic impact. Envisioning the world as a neo-creative playground, she deeply believes that storytellers are the architects of the future. I do hope you enjoy this episode of Elevate Life, the Metaverse in Motion. Let us know your thoughts. Hi, Joanna. Welcome to Elevate Life, the Metaverse in Motion. Hi, Nina, and thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, we're really lucky to have you on our podcast today. Uh, I'm so such a fan of your work and your creativity and your uh, excellence and your art aesthetic in your artwork. So it really is, um, I know it elevates my life when I look at your your work. So I, I think it would be wonderful for our audience to, to experience and to hear about your inspiration and, and your, you know, you know, what drives you as an artist and creator. Sure. So um, feel free to interrupt me at any point. Um, but yeah, uh, my name is Joanna Mitkia. I'm a Romanian-born transmedia artist with a background in film. I'm a writer-director primarily. And um, my, my life has unfolded in a very uh, unpredictable way, I could say. And perhaps I could recall three key moments that shaped what I'm doing today. Uh, and um, I feel most of what I do has at least three dimensions and they come from some of them from my childhood because I spent my childhood in a remote village in Romania and I feel this is where I got the spiritual part of, of my creative work. My grandmother was very much into spirituality and learning um, good practices on how to, to be a kind human being and so on. So that was the foundation uh, I grew up with. And then uh, later on in life, I had a chance to choose a career path in high school and I chose film. I chose cinema. And that was a crucial moment because it kind of uh, validated in, in a very unusual way my creativity. I, I feel like this year I'm celebrating what I call 32 years of creativity. <laughs> uh, but uh, that moment when I chose to go officially for becoming a screenwriter or a director, um, brought me very close to to the art world and transformed this into a profession. And finally, the third uh, key point I kind of went through was probably when my scholarship <laughs> happened, uh, which was four years ago. And that opened up a lot of hor horizons in the technological realm. I had a chance to study transmedia storytelling in depth, to study mixed reality, virtual reality, uh, a lot of groundbreaking technologies. And I started to think more about how to combine powerful concepts 
with technology and with forms of social impact. So kind of this is, uh, in short lines, <laughs> the, the compressed version of my pathway. And yeah, I, I currently work mostly in VR, I could say, although um, I wouldn't call me uh, I wouldn't call myself uh, exclusively a VR professional because I do love to play with a lot of creative arts. Um, I, I do love to create, um, uh, to play with creative writing, to play with uh, film. And I, I do believe every single project starts from a, a soul idea, a, a concept, and then you match the technology with that idea and not the other way around. For me, it's very hard to to start from, oh, let's do something with artificial intelligence and I don't know what, but it must be with AI. It doesn't work like that, but rather the, the other way around. So, uh, yeah, like this would be uh, the introduction. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, there's so much there in terms of yourself as an artist and a transmedia artist and, and the intersection and, and the use of technology within your creative expression, I think is a really... Um, a really beautiful way to elevate life and and you know as an artist what do you think technology as we know it today in terms of web3 ultimately the metaverse and and how it impacts you as an artist and then potentially how you share your creativity with with the world yeah i feel there are many ways to tackle this and um what what i would say is if we look around, it seems like technology is shaping everything almost from storytelling to how our humanity is defined. Um, but I would kind of go back in time a little bit and I would say that we shouldn't forget that we are the ones shaping technology as well. And to me personally, technology is a tool. It's not a destination in itself. Uh, I, I do believe technology is meant to help us enrich the human spirit, help us awaken some senses that perhaps we have forgotten. But then I believe um, I'm, I'm less of a, if you want, a, a post-humanist thinker, but I'm more of a post-technologist thinker. I, to, to my mind, it's more about what will come out uh, after this current technology that we use today, what will be the next milestone to advance humankind? What will be the next tool to advance humankind rather than asking um, <laughs> how, how can we define um, uh, technology as the ultimate goal. Um, so this, this is one, one way to tackle it. Uh, then uh, I would also say, um, I, I think we are very privileged <laughs> on the other hand, because I feel um, as one of my friends, uh, Arvel Chappell uh, from LA used to say, uh, human beings uh, go through this kind of technological revolutions once a century. So I think we are very fortunate in a way to assist and to participate in the current technological revolution. And this doesn't happen every day. And I think we need to use this privilege constructively. Like how can we use Web3? How can we use the metaverse um, in a way that will benefit uh, communities will benefit the planet as well, hopefully, uh, and, and more other dimensions and species. Uh, perhaps I'm a little bit over-philosophical today, but this would be a sneak peek into how I perceive technology right now. Of course, this could change throughout time. Yeah, that really resonates with, with me as a human being and also as co-founder of Kabuni, in which we are 
developing methodologies to integrate technology into our children's lives to benefit their holistic lives, right? So that we're we're using and strategically and intended intentionally the technology to um, improve our our human lives, and and that brings me, you know, to the the concept of of your um, government of children. And if anyone out there wants to watch uh, Joanna's TED talk on uh, her project called Government of Children, um, it really is inspiring and and really creative and really well done and. Could you take a few moments to decide uh, to share with us about, you know, how that project came to fruition, about how you created space to listen to children and hear what they had to say? Sure. So on one hand, I think it, it started when I was a child, because um, as I as I grew up in this remote village, I always loved to imagine how the world around me must look like. And I was always sketching ideas about uh surrounding cities or the future of cities and villages around me, how will everything unfold and so on. As I grew up, um, I realized that um, our society has another paradigm of thinking and children don't have um, necessarily a a role in deciding their own future. Uh, They are uh, pretty much marginalized. And uh, while in Los Angeles, I had a chance to interview for the first time uh, 10 Mexican children, uh, and their views uh, were highly inspirational, and that made me think, "Wow, you are truly visionaries! And how about uh, how amazing would it be if we could interview more children from more countries and try to understand how they see the world and how we can archive those visions in artistic forms, but also in other kind of societal forms? Why not? Perhaps some of the ideas will turn into laws one day. So uh, when I, when I came back to Romania." Uh, my country was celebrating uh, a century of existence. So we invited 100 kids and invited them to imagine the next century of the country. Uh, and, and that was a big shift in the project because the Romanian children were going in a highly fantastical direction um, in comparison to, to the Californian children who were very practical, very hands-on. They wanted to do right now a fundraising campaign for all the homeless uh, communities. While in Romania, it was more of a long-term um, thinking approach and uh, kids were thinking uh, how they could redesign architecture fully, redesign transportation, redesign uh, everything because Romanian cities have more flaws perhaps than other cities around the world. So um, from this project, we started to actually build uh, in a, a virtual world um, their visions. We have right now seven virtual cities uh, in a project called Tangible Utopias. And my hope would be that this project is not just an artistic piece, but it's a holistic piece. Uh, perhaps it could serve as a societal prototype. Uh, and perhaps uh, by investigating this vision, by investigating this future series, we could actually debate and uh, choose the ones that feel most convenient for um, human beings. So... Uh, This is how it all started. Uh, I also had uh, um, a tiny moment in um, Washington, D.C. when I remember I visited the Capitol and they had all these amazing statues of uh, adult leaders, but there was only one statue of a child. And that was a big uh, aha moment for me because it it kind of forced me to ask the question, why don't, don't we acknowledge 
talent and vision and leadership in children while they are children? Why do we have to wait for you to grow up, uh, for time to pass by, <laughs> for other things to unfold? Um, and right now, I, I feel very intrigued by this, by how can we listen more to kids and how can we integrate more into our work? So, uh, and I'm pretty sure Nina, you're doing um, very similar um kind of approaches when co-creating with kids like i'm i'm i was so in love um with the process of bringing together with architects and sociologists and psychologists and professors and together um kind of they they formed this, uh, futuristic cities and it was a really beautiful experience to see how ideas can emerge outside of schools outside of uh classical institutions just from the desire to have a little bit of a better corner of the world around us. Yeah, I think I think what what you brought to life and in, in the philosophy of what you, what you speak about in 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 showcasing and highlighting and, and elevating the child's imagination and and valuing it as a um, as a contribution to how we could possibly shape the future. Because certainly we know that adults are creating and continue to create many problems. And, and perhaps it is time to, to hear the voices of children as we design the future, especially in the, in, the, in the space of the metaverse, because there's so much imagination, there's so much potential, so much creativity that's possible, and, and really just have to unlock that for the children. And, and that starts with having conversations with them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, to add to this, to me, it's more of a starting point in a way. Um, I feel... Listening to children is the first step, but what I truly believe in is designing some kind of a transgenerational playground where people of all ages, of all disciplines, all backgrounds could kind of intersect with each other and um, find ways to, <laughs> to, to overcome disagreements. I'm, I'm pretty fascinated by this, by the way, because sometimes the, the kids are seeing the, the world very differently, uh, for example, in terms of technology uh, and nature. Uh, there are children that see uh, over-robotization or over-automation of the world, while others see the opposite. Like, we want to see wild animals. We want to see wild trees all around. So uh, perhaps my biggest question is, how can we match visions that are different to each other? And I think this is something that perhaps also in the context of the metaverse is kind of intriguing because the metaverse allows you to, to try... Uh, different configurations and to see how can you combine different ideas into a holistic piece. So I, I kind of see the metaverse as a prototype for the real world right now, uh, as some kind of lab where you can go and test and simulate what you could create in, in reality further on. Yeah, a test bed for, for us before we do too much damage in the real world or and then <laughs> and then elevate life based on the results that have been tested in the metaverse. I think that's a really interesting concept and opportunity for us. I think I think that um, my next question is, what is the one thing we must do or you feel we must do now as a collective society to positively impact uh, lives and the planet? What, what do you think is the most urgent uh, at this point where we're standing right now as, as a society and as humanity? I, I think there are very many emergencies. 
Um, but if I could uh, perhaps uh, say what I think really right now is I would really pause a little. I would pause a little just to contemplate on everything because I think there there is so much happening around us and sometimes we don't have time to simply think about it. So I would really choose, uh, if I could call it like these meetings with ourselves <laughs> for like 10 minutes a day uh, to kind of um, think about, okay, what what legacy, what mark do we want to leave uh, out around us? Like all of us are the result of a lot of millions of years of evolution on planet Earth. And I think now we are at the crossroads somehow. Um, and the metaverse comes with all kinds of promises. Um, there, there, are, there is the promise of accomplishing your creativity, which is really beautiful. And I've been waiting for this for my whole life. But in the same time, there are lots of dangers. I think there is the danger of creating an addictive metaverse or a metaverse that is purely escapist and is perhaps very beautiful, but it contradicts reality, which is perhaps very <laughs> destroyed. So I think we, we need to contemplate on how to balance our multiple realities, our multiple uh, virtual and real <laughs> uh, dimensions. And what I advocate is um, for a kind of, finding our if i can call it like this trans reality like how to navigate um digital worlds and real world in a really harmonious manner so that it doesn't feel disruptive it doesn't feel like okay i'm now on my smartphone and i i won't be listening to you i'll be here exclusively like perhaps this is not the best model of how to <laughs> combine digital and real so how can we actually do this and um yeah i i i would from a lot in this direction because I feel sometimes technology could also create some irreversible changes. Uh, and for example, there are a lot of theories advocating for what they call dataism, which uh, they, they claim this is the next step after capitalism. It's like living in, in a world of data where we are kind of um, valued for the data we provide. And I think this can easily turn into a dystopic scenario, right? Because data um, can be decentralized, but it also can be very controlled and very centralized. And uh, the, the key question is what makes us human? <laughs> and how can we preserve that in a highly technologized um, time? Uh, so that we don't uh, turn into a fully... Um, automated world without understanding how our own brains and souls and um, creative approaches function. So, yeah, I guess that would be the, the emergency. And of course, like if we look around, uh, you know, uh, planting trees, <laughs> um, deforestation is a huge problem in Romania. I'm not sure how things are in UK, but uh, I'm a huge advocate for reforestation. So a lot of things are to be done. And I think the virtual worlds could perhaps train us to work better uh, in, in our real world. There was a beautiful Canadian project, Fort McMoney. Uh, I don't know if you ha have explored it. It was about a polluted Canadian uh, town. And the director of it, David Dufresne, designed it as a video game. And in the video game, you could uh, decide the future of the polluted town. You could make it more natural or even more polluted. Uh, and you could approach the mayor in the game. And if you would approach the mayor in the game, your letter would reach out the real mayor as well. So that, I think, is a really beautiful example on how you can connect worlds 
in a very uh, interesting manner and in a perhaps efficient manner, although the project was mostly artistic and uh, I'm not sure if the real mayor responded to, to the players, but um, yeah, I guess this is a, a path I would love to explore. Yeah. And how do you feel the, the role of, for yourself as an artist and a creator and, and for a, you know, a um, designer in, within VR and, and potentially within to, in, into the metaverse as well, how the role of storytelling elevates you know the art form and 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 the experience i i think storytelling is so crucial to our times uh th there was a theorist jonathan Gottschalk, who even called humans uh, as storytelling animals he was saying that storytelling helped us um helped us maintain the continuity of our species somehow uh, i i really value storytelling because i'm a storyteller at heart and everything starts with a concept with a story um I think, though, um, storytelling is more influ influential than we think. Uh, we sometimes tend to perceive storytelling as entertainment alone or as a side, um, side dimension of our existence, but I think it influences us on the long term so much. This is why, as storytellers, I think we need to pay a lot of attention on what, what we are conveying. Because what I'm noticing around is that a lot of stories are driven by conflict, are driven by a lot of um, battling um, ideas. And I really advocate for replacing this mechanic with some other mechanic that would replace the ancient conflict of stories with some kind of our harmony. I really think we need more collaborative stories, more participatory stories, uh, different models of storytelling, if I might say. Um, and we are witnessing a huge shift. Like previously, stories were seen as a format. Stories were uh, a film or a book or uh, something like a standalone piece. Right now, stories are more seen as a universe, more as a continuous flow of ideas, continuous flow of um, philosophy. And I think we need to be uh, to pay attention to what we are what we are saying. And um, in this regard, during my PhD, uh, I tried to coin a new genre of storytelling um, because I felt um, when we talk about the future, the only uh, genre that comes to mind is science fiction. And science fiction promotes uh, futures fueled by technology alone. Uh, and my concern was how about we create um, a new genre that would be focusing on the advancement of human consciousness rather than the advancement of technology alone. So we created a genre called poetic fiction, which is short, the, short, uh, the shortcut of it is NoFi. And most of the projects that we do are kind of under this umbrella of trying to imagine how can we perform better as humans in a technological realm? How can we make sure we bring, as you say, you know, new methodologies to collaborate and to co-create, new methodologies to use technology constructively. Uh, for example, in MIT, um, they have a beautiful project. Uh, it's already a little old. <laughs> it's called Psychic VR, and it's a neuro-VR um, project. Uh, which invites you to concentrate, and the more you concentrate, you can levitate in VR, or you can uh, change the virtual world. And I think that's a really beautiful step into awakening us and making us believe that our mind can truly have uh, unprecedented powers, 
And if we would um, use it more creatively, um, we cannot see, I don't know, a, a, well, in your terms, perhaps an elevated form of life um, or, you know, perhaps new new dimensions, new angles, uh, new perspectives, uh, not only the uh, self-centered ones. Yeah. Yeah, expanding our consciousness. And, and that brings us back to kind of the imagination of children and, 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 and reconnecting with that, uh, that sense of being, that sense of imagination as adults, uh, which unfortunately society kind of limits children and therefore it limits adults throughout our, our life experience. And it does feel as though we do have to intentionally work at regenerating our, our imaginations as adults and, and connect to that, that soul, that creativity, that part of us that feels um, uh, somewhat distant as yeah. adults. And I think, I think one thing I really appreciate about your work um, is that it really has a sense of play and a real sense of creativity that um, is is really, as you explained, you know, expanding dimensions uh, and 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 allowing us to think just a little bit differently. So I, I feel that that philosophy that you just spoke about really resonates in your work. Tell me about your favorite project that you that you've worked on. Um, I you know each project as a at a time is a favorite project, uh, but I, I think. Utopias was really perhaps one of the the most uh, ambitious in terms of methodology and outcome. But right now we are working. Uh, every every project is really uh, transformative in so many ways. Right now we are working on a project called Money, which aims to bring uh, in VR um, dreams collected from different human beings from uh, from our world. Uh, and it all started from the premise that each of us dreams more than 1,500 times per year, but there are people uh, suffering of brain tumors uh, or different other illnesses, and their dream function is not activated anymore. So our goal was at first to match them with the dreams of others, but it actually turned into a more universal project. And right now we are building on this uh, library of dreams. And the first dream we adapted uh, was a dream collected from my own family. Uh, it was the last dream that um, my my aunt had, and um, it, it it comes uh, again with this layer of tapping into human consciousness uh, and kind of visualizing it in VR, which I think is highly intriguing. Uh, and usually, we we work on projects that uh, combine more layers in terms of discipline, like combine in this case psychology with um, neuroscience and uh, creative arts. And I think this intersectionality is really beautiful. And uh, be because you, you are developing Kabuni and I'm also working on educational uh, playgrounds, I think it would be so nice to, to have creative intersections between as many disciplines as possible. Like really a lot of innovation can emerge out of this. Uh, and also, when we talk about, uh, if we were to talk about how to reframe education or how to reframe uh, educational uh, playgrounds nowadays, I think another crucial um, 
point would be to somehow have have the chance to convince children and convince human beings that each of them is a potential inventor, each of them is a potential leader, each of them is a potential visionary thinker, and they just need to to test that: are they or are they not? Uh, because a lot of a lot of us are not aware of our own powers. There there was a beautiful philosopher, a really nice philosopher, who said we should study inventology in school. Uh, we should study how how people can invent things because that's not something that should be secret or mysterious in any way. That's something we could benefit from as a community. And um, be intrigued by this kind of like new disciplines or new new angles uh, to perceive the, the world. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Joanna, let's, um, it's your turn. What's the one question you would want to ask me if, if you have one? And, and I guess um, my notes say there's no rules, but um, yeah, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> Perhaps we could. Um, I, I will ask actually a, a tricky question. Um, perhaps. <laughs> so sometimes I feel that right now there is a statistic in the UK that people spend more time on screens than they sleep. Uh, there is another stat- statistic that says sometimes the digital world in some ways colonizing our reality. So I guess my question would be, how do you think we can counteract that? How do you think we can make sure or try to, to advocate for a meaningful impact of technology? How do you think we can, as creators and as, uh, you know, startup uh, initiators and and visionary Mm -hmm. humans, or what measures should we take to actually make sure that technology doesn't overcome its boundaries somehow, doesn't doesn't become more than it should be? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is a really important question at the moment and really vital for us uh, to be curious about. Everybody, parents, every aspect of society should start to become more conscious of our relationship with technology and how we personally, individually choose to use it. And, and, then, and then as parents, caregivers, educators, how we facilitate and guide our children, our students, the next generation into a healthy, boundaried approach to a relationship with technology. And, and I do like to think of it as a relationship because, you know, we have to work at healthy relationships. You know, we have to be very conscious and aware of ourselves, our inner world, in order to ensure that our behavior doesn't negatively impact someone. And that's a part of our role as parents is to support children as they figure out that boundary push and that kind of give and take between, between, you know, what's good for us and what's not good for us. And I think that as, as technology has been introduced to us over the evolution of the internet, we've made a few mistakes Mm -hmm. and we've forgotten about what it means to have healthy relationships with with tools in our lives, right? And if we think of technology as a tool, um, then we think about it differently because, you know, as as parents, we, we, we never, before the advent of the internet, let our children run freely in the woods for 24 or, you know, 12 hours a day. It was always a healthy approach to 
how the, your child is kind of integrating out in the world. But suddenly with technology and devices, we suddenly thought, okay, screen time, yes, we should provide boundaries, but maybe somewhere we were curious about, we didn't know the impact of that. So we kind of let a lot of time pass with, without asking those questions. And some, some of us ask the questions more than others. And I suppose the point is that, you know, we, we need to continue to set those, set those boundaries for ourselves as, as, as adults and, and, and healthy human beings, and then guide our children to do so as well. And I think, again, if we think about technology as a tool in our lives and not as, and unfortunately, technology has been developed in ways at the moment that it's been enabled and empowered to manipulate our psychological behavior. And it's been allowed and permitted to um, promote a consumptive relationship with technology. And I do think we're at a change and a shift in technology that that is 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 not going to be um, abandonedly al- permitted anywhere. We're going to start asking questions. Governments are certainly ask, uh, setting regulations so that we're not our psychological human behavior isn't manipulated. But we also do have to take some responsibility on ourselves and understand and question our inner world and and the projection that we're making in our outer world in all of our relationships, which includes our relationship with technology. And I'm really fascinated in the future of the metaverse, of this convergence of the physical and the digital worlds, where that blending becomes one whole entity so that we can no longer separate our digital life from our physical, organic, biological lives, that we now have to become conscious of it being one holistic picture of who I am. Uh, and I think, I hope that that will allow us to kind of shape a future where we are more conscious of, of our digital choices, because what we know is that, that our choices right now in digital spaces and virtual environments and, and all of our uh, activity on the internet is, is literally shaping the future of the metaverse and the future of technology that we will all and our children will all have to live with. Uh, so it's important that we, we consciously decide and expand our awareness of ourselves and, and take responsibility for that relationship. But it's not an, an easy question to answer for sure. Uh, and, and, and I think is a, coming at this from my kind of psychology and psychotherapist background and setting boundaries uh, and, and creating safe spaces as a primary mode for um, a healthy, uh, repairing, therapeutic experience. Uh, seems, and, and from, from my experience and from the evidence that's, that's appearing, is, is a, is a at least a better way to move forward with with designing technology that's intended to to elevate our lives to use it as a tool so so i think it's really interesting as you say i own joanna that the the we're at the cusp of something new we're at a really special time in humanity where technology is evolving and it is a great time to be alive and to to contribute to the future of of how we integrate technology into our lives Yes, it's. Uh, I think it, that was a long answer. <laughs> I think it's it's great because I think it's an it's an ongoing answer and uh, everything is actually ongoing. Also, the chain of questions yeah. and the chain of answers, and I think we need to um, once in a while we need to yeah to go back and recontemplate on everything and see if we feel the yes. same or if we 
we have different uh, perspectives on things. So I appreciate your your answer quite a lot, and thank you so much. Uh, yeah. yeah, pleasure. Um, so we're coming towards the end of of our discussion, and and um, uh, as we usually do at the end of the podcast, we ask you to to suggest or or nominate or or <laughs> or volunteer uh, another person that in your network who you feel elevates life um, and and contributes to you know improving the world in some way to join us as a as a guest on our podcast. Yeah. So. Um... This answer is actually very long normally because uh, I I used to have and I still have a lot of role models. One of uh, one of the, the highest ones being my uh, Fulbright professor Harry Jenkins, who actually defined transmedia storytelling, and I think he's one of the um, one of a kind philosophers of our times. He he really is highly prolific and um, thinking about different perspectives of approaching things, um, but. I believe um, most of these conversations are taking place between people that are perhaps highly educated, but highly known for something. Uh, and I, I would go back to uh, children or to people from marginal categories or to people that don't have uh, necessarily uh, a, a very polished, uh, cool job. <laughs> uh, but I would be interested to see how they... Uh, perceive what we are doing or what we try to create because I think um, sometimes uh, when I work in VR um, I, I have this feeling that we work in a very very tiny lab uh, with a very small community of people that have access to the VR headset and out there it's a huge world that has has no access even to internet so I would be curious to what would they have to say about this whole dimension? Um, how would they perceive it and make it better or more relevant for, for their needs? Um, and I guess this is something I would be really intrigued to try. And uh, I don't know, I would try to invite like indigenous communities or like communities of all kinds, honestly. Like I'm pretty sure, you know, London is so diverse in itself, uh, but every single place is hyper diverse. and um, I now have the same dilemma with government of children. The dilemma is how to reach out to, to children that perhaps don't have a platform to express themselves. And it's really hard. It's actually very, very, very hard to, to do this. But I think we, we, can, we can try. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I hear what you're uh, saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah, that inclusion and diversity and that conversation of collective minds coming together uh, only shapes, you know, the conversation more broadly and and, and more dimensional, uh, and adds things that we couldn't imagine. So, okay, I I, I will will work on that absolutely. No, and sorry. my final question for you today, Johannes, is um, I know you've referred to your 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 past mentor um, as a person that you you uh, find inspiring, but. What else could you recommend to our listeners in terms of um, books or or work or artwork of your own or others that provokes insights uh, and inspires the, the the kind of unlocking the design potential in humanity? Um, so I, I have an entire list of, uh, of works and books that uh, are. I, I find them brilliant. Uh, if I were to mention some books, um, uh, I would mention perhaps Maps of the Imagination by Peter Turkey, uh, which comes with a very interesting idea 
which is how to map not only physical spaces, not only our geographic uh, lands, but our minds. How can we how can we create maps of our thinking? How can we visualize that? Uh, and I, I really love this as a storyteller. Um, also, um, th- there was an interesting book by Deborah Lufton called The Qualified Self, uh, because I feel right now we talk a lot about the, the, the quantitative self or the, uh, yeah, the, the quantity, the numbers behind everything. And I really think we need to talk more about equality and about uh, what comes at the end of this whole process. Uh, what is quality? How do we measure success or perhaps another <laughs> another term like it doesn't have to be success um and um i'm very intrigued by this uh, not so much by the internet but pretty much like by the the internet of uh, beings if i can call it like this like how can we make sure that the internet is used to 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 ele- to to improve the life quality of of people and not to decrease it, not to cause anxiety, not to cause other troubles. Um, and uh, I don't know, like there are a bunch of artists out there that I really admire. Uh, for example, one of them is uh, a poet from um, Canada, I think, um, Christian Bach, who was intrigued by how can we archive poetry uh, in other forms and formats and he archived poetry in bacteriums or in like um, other biological species so that they survive in environments where people don't have this uh, and that's an intriguing idea and i i really love um yeah people kind of putting this intersectionality between arts sciences and technology and spirituality at the next level uh, and finally um, I would say something that is really a very recent thought, which is um, I, I used to have human role models. Like all of my life, I admired my professors. I admired a lot of um, a lot of artists, technologists, and so on. But but lately, I'm I'm trying to learn things, and I'm trying to perceive as role models other species, and I'm trying to see, okay, what would I have to learn if if I would consider this this tree in front of me like a role model how what what can i learn from 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 this and i i try to to challenge this whole anthropocentric mechanic in a way in a different mechanic that is perhaps non-centric <laughs> in some ways like it's not having the human species at heart um but other species and it it invites us to to learn from everything that surrounds us not not only from um yeah, from our human advancement. Uh, and I think this... Yeah, this, brilliant. Yeah, I, I think this has led throughout time to a lot of innovations as well. Uh, like, for example, people that yeah. were fascinated by bats, they then invented the submarine technology and so on. So I, I think there is a lot of uh, know-how to be decoded in there. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. This would be uh, <laughs> just a very honest um, tapping into... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's really fascinating and I think uh, really inspiring as well to kind of shift our day-to-day kind of perception of the world and see value in, in everything around us. I think that's a really beautiful way to approach our day. 
So Joanna, thank you so much for your time. I've really valued this conversation and I know that you and I could speak for hours and hours and um, for years and years and, and develop more conversations and, and really interesting work together. And I, um, I look forward to our next conversation and I, I really appreciate the time you've taken today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. And, and good luck to, to everything that you do. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.